This is Rebecca Lowe, or Rebecca Lua, if you listen to Suboptimal Radio, and you are listening to Men in Blazers on the NBC Sports Network. It's unbelievable! From the Embassy Row Studios in the crap part of Soho and the crap part of West Hollywood, uh, Rog, from a soon-to-be-vacated loft, it's the Men in Blazers podcast. Oh, it's our Halloween special, David. What, what, it you, is. what are you going as for Halloween? What, man in middle of move is what, what I'm going as. <sighs> I'm moving from my, my, my loft in the crap part of West Hollywood, which long-time GFOPs will remember, podded from the crap part of West Hollywood. You know, the, the Everton fans chanting the Everton songs down Melrose back in the good old days, Rog, when Everton were good. And I'm moving a little further... Uh, further up the hill in Hollywood. Still going to be the crap part of Hollywood, Rod, so I'm in the middle of a move. That's that's my costume. Uh, do you want to know what my costume is? Yeah, I'd love to know. Same as always. I just take my glasses off and I go uh, I go as you. <laughs> All balds look the same to you non-bald no, listeners. You would need to do more than take your glasses off, Rod. Hard-hitting podcast starting at the top with the question that everyone in world football is talking about. Davo, yeah. how's your tummy? After the great oh. food poisoning incident of last week, just remind the listeners what happened. Started feeling a little sick at the beginning of last week's podcast, frankly, and it was getting worse. I don't know how I made it through. I don't even remember the Ravens, Rod. I don't even remember reading them. I don't remember what we put in the Amazon Emporium. I have no idea. But a terrible food poisoning incident. I'm about 10 pounds lighter, Rog. I'm not even back on the psyllium husk. That's how bad it's got. I actually think that it was a psyllium husk overdose that led to the alleged <laughs> food poisoning. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but from where I was sitting last week across the pod table from you, I think I've diagnosed an intestinal parasite, Stranger Things 2 yeah. style, David. Thoughts and prayers for David. Yeah, I've got to stop eating those sushi pies uh, on a Tuesday. It seems, seems like a very, very bad idea. Roger, how are you doing? How's everything going with you? I know it was not the easiest weekend. Oh, you're patting me on the head from the other yeah. thousands of miles away. I can feel yeah. your, your... Because, because your... you know what? I do remember you, you showed me so much sympathy when Chelsea <laughs> was sitting in the relegation zone this time about two years ago. You know, your illness, Davo, which, of course, first and foremost, is what's preoccupied me over the last seven days. Yeah. And let's just say my constant suffering, you know, with Everton's demise, the U.S. men's national team's death. But and, they're not dead. <laughs> and, you know, it's made me think about one story from the last week, Davo, and the question it raises. Cue Davo. Oh, yes. More than a century ago, Rog, Albert Einstein's celebrated theory of relativity altered the world's understanding of space and time. This week, the wild-haired physicist's far simpler theory of happiness scribbled on a note and given to a bellboy at the Imperial Hotel in Tokyo in 1922, fetched more than one and a half million at an auction. Einstein was on a lecture tour and recently learned that he'd won the Nobel Prize. And when a bellboy delivered a message to the physicist, he fished in his pocket for some change to tip him and came up empty. Instead, Einstein offered a tip in the form of his theory on how to have a happy life oh. and told the bellboy that if he was lucky, the notes might become more valuable <laughs> than a regular tip. A calm and modest life brings more happiness than the pursuit of success combined with constant restlessness. He wrote in German on a piece of hotel stationery. And that piece of stationery sold last week for $1.5 million dollars auction and i know thousands of you listeners are now going to start doing that reaching into your pocket to give a tip and then realizing you've got no cash in there and so just scribbling to the bellboy and saying 
oh, this is going to be worth something in about 80 years' time, and just writing your secret of happiness, which is probably pies for many of you, pies and football. But they vote, let's go in deep. Einstein's theory of happiness. Agree? Disagree? Discuss. It is the complete opposite of what I'm doing. A calm and modest life brings more happiness than the pursuit of success combined with constant restlessness. That is the definition of my life, the pursuit of success combined with constant restlessness. I feel pretty happy, Rog. You know, the black dog visits occasionally once every three years, but I feel pretty happy, but maybe I'd be even happier if I was living a calm and modest life. It it seems like Einstein was trying to tell us the secret of life is to embrace middle management. I think he was just trying to make the rest of us stop competing with him so that he could clear the pathway to being number one. I, I will say, it's my second oldest kid's birthday today. Bear was born on Halloween, turns 12... He's a phenomenal human being. And I've been trying to think. He's, he's a creative, he's empathetic, he's athletic, he's insightful. He's a lovely boy. He's a beautiful boy. But he's got a trait that's common to many of us listeners. He, he loves to dwell on his weaknesses rather than his strengths. And I was thinking about what I'm going to say to him tonight at cake time, cakey time. And what I would have written to the Japanese bellboy. What would you have written to the Japanese bellboy, David? I would have given him a tenner. <laughs> I'd have given him some money, Rog. I just I can't believe that like if people like you and me are standing around like writing notes to bellboys, we're gonna get like can you imagine the look we're gonna get? We're gonna give no, him, I'm, yeah. I'm, I, I'm strictly in the cash business. I, of, I'm not gonna write notes to bit bellboys. Bit of a no no nowadays. I probably would have slipped the bellboy a Japanese malt from the mini yeah. bar, but I probably would have said in Japanese, because I am fluent in that dialect from my Mossad training, I'd say you are what you are. Knowing yourself, valuing your strengths, playing to your strengths, being aware of your weaknesses, but not overwhelmed or preoccupied by them. I think that's the secret to happiness. To be, to be clear, and we're going to get to this when we get to Everton Football Club, happiness in life or happiness on the football field, they're, they're definitely, oh, they're one and the same. Lots going on in Men in Blazerland, Rog. Yeah, the opposite of happiness for all you dear listeners. We were on television last night. Oh, uh, no. We were great. We were? Yeah, because we were blessed. Oh, uh, Tariko. The high priest of Tarikoism himself. What was it like for you when Mike Tariko, Rabbi Tariko, put his hand on your head and just and just improved, first take it? A, be- a blessing that, to be candid, was so beautiful that I think we should write it out and put his words on social, Dave. It was really magical. Can I tell you something? One of my mates I saw this weekend said to me, you know what? You look like your hair's growing back. Because we, we <laughs> did tape. We, we, must ad- we must admit that we did the Mike Tarico bit was a pre-tape that we actually did last week because he was doing Monday Night Football last he, week. We he did would, that as a pre-tape. He would, well, not because of uh, Thursday Night Football. He had to pre-tape because he's going uh, on a month-long juice fast cleanse, for, <laughs> which is one of so, the... Of but I've got to tell you, where he placed his hand on top of my head, yeah. I swear, I'll have you feel it, Rog. It's growing back. I've got little hair stubble growing <sighs> back from where Tariko touched the top of my head. That's... These are exciting times. I'm healed. I'm healed. That's so funny because where he touched me, yeah. I, I've just had blood weeping from an open wound <laughs> ever since. I've got like Tariko stigmata. It's very beautiful. I've got Tariko stigmata. I'm going to start charging people to look at it. It's a miracle, I tell you. <laughs> Warning, our next show, Monday, November the 20th. After oh. another can't-miss match, America, they just keep coming thick and fast. Brighton versus Stoke, Davo. 
Oh, it's a big one. Everybody's talking about it. We also launched our first line of merch last week. I'm currently wearing a suboptimal sweatshirt as we pod. And I'll say it's such a beautiful fabric, Dave. It's such a beautiful fabric. Feels like a, a Jurgen Klopp hug. Oh, I'm <laughs> rubbing my nipples as I speak to you. And you, dear listener, can grab one of these sweatshirts and a host of T-shirts in men's, women's, kids, animal sizes at meninblazers.com. You click on the merch header, which is at the top of the page. Every purchase helps us gather the resources to create more Men in Blazers crap for your ears, for your eyes, for your bald spots. So we value, we really do, in all sincerity, we value each and every one of you that has stepped up and brought some of this crap. We've been working hard, Dave. We're not just on the merch, the book. Very hard at work, which means, Rod, we've got a winner <laughs> in our Men in Blazers book cover contest. Dun, it dun, is... Dun, 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 it's Thomas... Kelly and his Niet in the face. Describe it, Rod. It's a stunning piece of, I'd say, 1950s Russian poster neo-surrealism, which somehow combines um, the image of me, and it looks like you, but then you look again, and it's actually Vladimir Putin lording it over me. He and you, actually. Mm, Cousins. First cousins, second cousins as a look. Let's just say... And it is Niet, N-Y-E-T, not in Russian, in the face. It is a genius idea, Thomas Kelly. I was inspired by your beautiful book name to just punch out 4,000 words on my typewriter about why Alexi Lalas is one of the single most important footballers of all time, Dave. It was glorious. I felt like James Joyce writing Ulysses. Ah, oh, just the same. Rog, okay, we've got a packed show. We're going to recap. The second versus third high-octane, low-pass completion <laughs> percentage affair that was Man United 1, Tottenham 0. We're going to break down the narrative-filled thriller. Game of the weekend for me, Rose. Crystal Palace 2, West Ham 2. And I give you a hug from 2,800 <sighs> miles away as we relive Leicester's win over Everton. Okay, to the football, Rog. Oh, I'm going to open this beautiful Guinness and I'll just say I couldn't be more excited for our live show, which is fast upcoming next week. And it was gorgeous to hear from so many of you that I am not alone. As a reminder, next Thursday night, we're doing a live show in New York City. What happened, which is going to be a forensic accounting of the United States men's national team's World Cup nightmare. Slew of remarkable talent taking the stage, i.e. some people who actually know things about football. We are totally thrilled that the show sold out in 40 seconds. GFOPs, you are remarkable. And I'm looking forward to an evening that I hope is healing psychologically. It's really what the doctor ordered. But we got a lovely, a really beautiful glut of messages like this one that I'm going to make my toast. It's from Chris in Phoenix, Arizona. I'm raising my Guinness to you, Chris. You wrote and said, Men of action, the call for the emergency meeting in New York has inspired me as well. Flight bought, hotel booked, coming in hot from Phoenix for the emergency GFOP meeting. Can't decide what I need more, a group of GFOPs for a cuddle, or maybe just some pie. In any event, I'm coming for both. To you, Chris and Phoenix, to all GFOPs coming together for the sake of being together. And remember, those of you who couldn't get tickets, come and have a Guinness with us at the Globe Pub next door to the Gramercy Theatre at about nine o'clock next Thursday. Courage. The football, Man United 1, Tottenham nil. A clash between the teams currently placing and showing 
in the Premier League. After a high-intensity game that offered little in the way of fluent football, the breakthrough finally came in the 81st minute by way of substitute Anthony Martial, Rog. The 21-year-old latched onto a big ROM flick to steer the ball past fellow Frenchman Hugo Lloris and gave United a big six victory and kept them five points adrift. Just five points adrift, Rog, of Manchester City. Massive result in what will probably turn out to be this season's most fascinating nip-and-tuck battle, the race for second place, Davey. You got Spurs, you had United, deadlock going into the game, same number of points. Spurs, best start to a league season since 1963. But this really, it did feel like a must-win for Jose Mourinho. Critically panned, Grinch who stole Christmas, draw at Anfield, followed by the humiliating sting of last weekend's defeat at Huddersfield. And the question was, Dave, how would he approach the game? Would he, in front of his own fans, come out on the front foot with the kind of attack, 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 classic Manchester United football that the old Trafford faithful foggily remember from the Sir Alex Ferguson days? Or would he use his preferred big six approach, the art of war, the Machiavelli, the prince, the python-like suffocation risk mitigation techniques? Well, I'd say in the first half, Roger, it was, it was closer to the latter. Let's be honest, it's a khaki game in that first half. I mean, from a Spurs perspective, this game, it was about how does the Harry Kane team do without Harry Kane, out with a hamstring strain? The answer was, not good, Bob, right, Davey? When Pep made the comment about it's just a Harry Kane team. It was a little bit ludicrous. It seemed somewhat unfair to say that about Tottenham. However, <laughs> since he said it, it seems to have become true somehow. It's like the observer effect. They have become what people perceive uh, them to be. Yeah, I mean, it was astonishing. It was from both sides. You're right. Nervy, agitated, fair. Particularly when United decided to stop playing football and just wind up Delhi at every opportunity. We should print Delhi versus everyone t-shirts, Davey. Because at the end of that first half, uh, it was such awful spectacle. I was just hoping the ref would stop the game, force the players to have a dance-off. Only way to salvage any pride from this dire spectacle. Can you imagine Son going head-to-head on the dance floor against Phil Jones? Yeah, Phil Jones, I mean, he'd be on the floor so quickly, whether deliberately or uh, or accidentally, he'd, he'd be doing his floor work. I'd like to see Phil Jones in a dance-off with anyone. That would be just classic. Phil Jones' floor work is the name yeah. of a book I would buy in a heartbeat. My game notes sum up the opening 45. They say, a first half that made me believe more than ever that life has no meaning. Really, did. it reminded me of the great... Isn't that your game note in every game you ever watch, Rog? <laughs> About 57% of them remind me of the, the quote from the great Holocaust philosopher Viktor Frankl, who said, if yeah. there is a meaning in life at all, then there must be meaning in suffering. But in the second half, Spurs, just blunt, tentative, united, seemed to be the team who shaded the energy. Delhi missed the guilt edge chance from Raheem Sterling range. Spurs didn't even muster a shot on target in the second half. And Mourinho, Dave, your Mourinho, who you understand better than any man alive, had his greatest thrill. Not only did his team find a way to win, but it was his tactical change that led to the goal. I mean, other than Mets era Bobby Valentine, I can't think of a manager whose vanity that matters to more. He takes off Rashford, the United favourite, in a way Lukaku wishes he was a United favourite, and throws on in the 70th minute, Anthony Martial. Yeah, sometimes a forgotten man at Man United, but he comes on, ball pumped forward, Romelu Lukaku 
you know, you and I talked about it. Was that glancing header accidental? Was it intended? Uh, and it just falls to the feet of Martial. Actually, great finish in the end. I thought that flick on from Lukaku was so artful, so creative, such an analyst of space. He could only have learned that from Omar on the ass. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or it just cannot have been deliberate. You so rarely see that flick on actually hit its intended target. Because actually, when you're jumping in the air to flick it on, you have no idea where your intended target is going to even be. Uh, but it looked beautiful. It played beautifully. And you know what? Man United got exactly what they deserved in the second half. They deserved uh, to win that game with their performance. The late goal that's become their hallmark. 43% of the goals United have scored this season. I think 10 of them have come in the last 10 minutes, which is a testament to their fitness. And very Mourinho-like, Rog. Very Mourinho-like. But Anthony Martial, every workplace has got an Anthony Martial. The guy that's always annoyed at everyone around them. They've got some kind of a superiority complex. Everyone else is incompetent. Always tells you the gossip on everybody, and it takes you a little bit of time before you realise that he talks to you about other people like he talks to other people about you. Uh, Do you have an Anthony Martial in your life, David? Yeah, just JW. (laughs) (laughs) JW is the complete opposite of that. I don't know that we do at Embassy Row. Uh, where the logo, the slogan is work hard and be nice to people. I don't think we have that person. Oh, J-Dubs is Team Juan Mata. But mm. oh, what a frustrating loss for Spurs. One that raises existential questions. I mean, they were so close again, yet so far. On one hand, Old Trafford, familiar upside down for them. 21 losses in their last 26 games there. And Mourinho has always had a mastery over Pochettino, especially on the road where Poch has lost, I think, seven of seven against Jose. But that over-reliance on Harry Kane, we've all talked about it. We've all pointed to it. We've all warned about it. And it came back to bite them. Yeah, no, it came back to bite them. And now, you know, some worries that that hamstring injury is a little bit worse than previously thought. Not quite sure when he's going to get back into the lineup. And certainly my mates who are Tottenham fans are getting very, very nervous about what's going on. At English, Bob Wan tweeted and said, Spurs are always going to struggle in front of goal in this game without Harry Kane and Dejan Lovren. But the, <laughs> for the prospect of Real Madrid's Harry Kane, that's what's going to keep more Spurs fans awake for long spells this week than anything other. As well as the fact that they're now eight points back from Manchester City with over a quarter of the season gone. They play Harry Kane's next owners at Wembley on Wednesday. But at the final whistle, Dave, we've got to talk about him. Jose, the master of class, of diplomacy, of subtlety, held his finger to his lips, just as critics. I reckon he wishes he could poke in the eye. Yeah, Jose, you're right. We're wrong. Your team will be second this season. The Pepsi, the Hydrox, the Miller beer of the Premier League. Question for you, David. With that squad, those riches at home, with this dogged football, with, let's be honest, few ideas going forward, a long ball goal and then locking down the back. Is Jose really vindicated by this victory? No, he's not completely vindicated by the victory at all and certainly not by the performance. However, Mourinho comes in for, you know, perhaps he brings it upon himself, but he comes in for a lot of criticism. He comes in for a lot of stick. And remember all the stuff last season, oh, has Mourinho lost it? Has the game moved past Jose Mourinho? Does he not know how to go and uh, manage a modern player anymore? It's clearly ridiculous. Even this season, 
they started so well. They then have that, you know, home performance against uh, Liverpool, uh, the loss against Huddersfield, and suddenly, oh my God, it's a disaster. This team can't even compete in the Premier League. And, you know, a lot of people, and I think he's made the point, are very sympathetic towards Tottenham, partly because I think they like their players, partly because they like Mauricio Pochettino. And I think that 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 injures him. It, it, it just affects him a little bit. It rubs him the wrong way when he comes in for so much criticism himself. So I do think he is partly a little bit vindicated. This is a good result. Frankly, had he drawn that game, had he lost that game, we'd have been piling into him hugely. And he's got to get some credit when he wins it. Yeah, I'll say it was a fantastic result. But if success is making the club a challenger again at any cost, then it's a big win. But if his goal is to make Manchester United united again, the one in our imagination, Davo, the one in the club's imagination and in its brand promise to the thousands of companies that associate themselves with United and Old Trafford, the peerless footballing institution that plays thrilling, confident, multi-threat football as in the Skulls, Beckham, Cantona glory days. Frankly, the kind that Manchester City are playing across town. Then the answer's got to be no. I mean, I realised this weekend, perhaps United are fated to follow Mel Gibson's career trajectory, David. <laughs> they had it. They had it all. They lost it all. They're now back, but not in the same way as they once were. They're not a blockbuster must-see. They're co-stars in Daddy's Home too. Not to be sniffed at, but to keep Spurs at bay, maintain a cliche, well done, extract points, four of them, out of six against big six challengers. That's a win. That's a Mel Gibson victory. He's in a movie with Will Ferrell. Who else is in that? Daddy's who? Will Ferrell. Somebody else. One of somebody who's a brother of somebody. The entourage guy. And a Wahlberg. That's, oh, that's not shabby. I'd take that. I just sometimes wonder if, you know, we always look at the past in football through rosy-coloured glasses. You know, Alex Ferguson's Man United didn't win every game 5-0, 6-0. They won a lot of games 1-0 as well. So I don't know. I felt like... You look at Man United over the balance of this season. If they can recapture some of the form that they found over the first five games, uh, I think they're going to be uh, just fine, Rog. And I think we may, uh, all of us in football, be like calling the title a little bit too early for the blue side of Manchester. On that subject, West Brom 2, Manchester City 3. Goals from Leroy Sané, Fernandinho and Raz, Rog. See City compensate for a sleepy rear guard that allowed two baggies goals. City claimed their ninth win in 10 games to stay at the table's apex. <sighs> Undefeated City facing Tony Pulis's West Brom, who've not won in two months. This was like a clash between the evolutionary future, 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 and the Luddite past. Artificial robot intelligence lining up against a Neanderthal cave bear clan. And the Neanderthals, they held out for 10 minutes, David. Producer J-Dub said this was like watching two NBA teams exchange buckets. There were just four minutes, 56 seconds between City scoring, West Brom equalising, City reasserting themselves. There used to be an early soccer arcade game called Tekan. I don't know if you ever played it, David. It was like a primitive pre-EA Sports FIFA. It was an early soccer game. I was just absolutely obsessed. I dedicated myself to it until I quickly learned that there were spots on the field from which it was impossible to stop me scoring from. It just took the fun out of the game. Pep City, 
They seem to know all those spots for real. They've identified a pocket, a red zone, we'd call it in America, either side, just either side of the goal. And they seem to try to just work the ball in there. And when they do, even Raz can't miss the chances that ensue. Yeah, he's become the tap-in specialist, Rod. But in fairness, he used to miss those. <laughs> I know. And, and to me, watching Raz, the poacher, become the club's co-top goal scorer. He's second in the Premier League. Raheem Sterling is currently your second top scorer in the Premier League with seven goals. That is testament to Pep Guardiola's coaching genius. It must be. I, I bet you if Pep came on our show, he'd say, sod winning the Champions League. Forget all those Bundesligas that are pocketed. Turning Raz into a useful human being is just war into wine. There was a late West Brom goal that made it 3-2, but City got the job done. Dominant again. Though I will say West Brom's goals, they serve to remind us City are human. They do have weaknesses. I will identify that weakness. I will give it a name. It's called Nicholas Otamendi. Though I think medium term, general complacency... It's going to be their greatest challenge. Arsenal await this weekend. Still 13 consecutive victories, five points clear, 28 points from a possible 30. Goal difference of 29. Remarkable achievement at this stage of a campaign. I think we're going to know more about City when it gets colder, when the pitches get worse. Right now, their speed is so dominant. Their collective speed, their individual speed just makes them so dominant over the opposition, Rog. Okay, Arsenal. Two, Swansea one. Uncle R sends men battle back from a goal down. Goals in the 51st minute from Syed Kalasanak. And the eighth minute, Rog, from Aaron Ramsey, your favourite, move Arsenal to fifth in the table while handing consonant laden Wales yet another L. Oh, Arsenal, you kill joys. So often themselves victims of dashed hope. Here, victim turned perpetrator against Daling, uncreative. Swansea, oh, I mean, admittedly, Swansea have been a bogeyman at the Emirates in recent seasons. But this one, when Swansea, there's few teams I feel for more than Swansea, David. What is it about that club? It's hard, to, hard not to root for them. Since they sort of had that great season a few seasons ago, they've had some you know, seasons in the Premier League where they've been flirting with relegation. They've always had some attractive players, you know, old Gilfie. Um, I love them now because they've got Tammy Abraham. They play some good football. They've always tried to go and play uh, good football in South Wales. I like their kits. I like their fans. I like the passion of the ground. If I could almost choose a Premier League team, I would almost choose Swansea. I love watching them uh, so much. Which is why this loss hurt. I mean, they barely ventured out their own half and then they scored out of nowhere. And just when it seemed like Swansea were going to win one for Bob Bradley, stale Arsenal started to play football and Kolasinic. The still undefeated heavyweight champion of the world rolled downhill towards the ball. That man is 87% made out of pie and just smashed it home. God, he's a phenomenal human being. He's really been the productive spot to a middling season for Arsenal. And yet they find themselves challenging for the Champions League places, just one place outside them. And Arsenal, after sort of a very rocky start to the season, seemed to be stabilising a little bit. Ten wins in a row at home for Arsenal with Bastard Ramsey. Not the only Bastard Ramsey, right? Swansea fans, Aaron's goal in Arsene Wenger's 800th game in charge. He's nearly halfway through his Arsenal tenure now, Gunners fans. And I say Arsenal looked like a man at the end, eager to get home, pour himself a nice bottle of Burgundy, and savour Arsenal fan TV. One note on Arsenal, Davo. Last week's AGM 
the board meet with fans. It's like a ritual trial and ordeal for the board members. And the club's chief executive, Ivan Gazidis, declared, I don't know he did this with a straight face. He said, according to, quote, objective metrics, Arsenal, remember the team who finished last season outside the top four, were, quote, the league's most consistent performers relative to expenditure. Hard, mm. hard to fit that into a chant, David. Yeah, it is. <laughs> we're we're the most consistent performers thing. relative to expenditure. Our EBIT's in the top four. Okay, EBIT. Rog, I thought the game of the weekend, Palace 2, West Ham 2, the Premier League equivalent of a popcorn flick. Might not have been academy-quality football, but holy crap, was it entertaining. After taking a 2-0 lead through Chicharito and a brother, AU, still not sure which one, <laughs> Serbian midfielder Luka Milivojevic slotted a 50th-minute penalty past Joe Hart to pull one back for Palace. And then, in the 97th minute, Rog, the Ivory Coast best footballer raised in Croydon, Wilf Zaha, <laughs> found the bottom corner for Palace's fourth goal and their fourth point of the season. Oh, Roy, at the end, bless. Oh, a draw that felt like a win for Palace and a loss for West Ham, but was, at the end of the day, still a draw. The pre-game shot to the two beleaguered managers, just a frayed Slavan Bilic. And the doddering Roy Hodgson. God, Slavan, he reminded me at the outset when the two met of Ben Stiller's cameo in Happy Gilmore uh, as the nurse orderly where he tells Happy Gilmore's grandma when she asks for a glass of milk, you can have a glass of shut the hell up. And West Ham brought that attitude onto the field. They were, they were just locking that game down in the first half. They were in my world now, grandma, 2-0 and strolling. Palace Batline looked like the whitefish energy of defences. But, but just when West Ham screamed, nothing can go wrong now, it all went to crap, David. Yeah, second half, it all started to change. You know, I think Roy must have given, you know, very soothing, lovely, warm arms around a few of the players, uh, man management, half-time he team put some, talk. He put some Kenny Rogers on in the, in the yeah, changing absolutely. room. And Palace came out playing much better in the second half, uh, much more confidence. And, uh, you know, suddenly got one back. Stone cold penalty. Final. I mean, I don't even know how to explain what West Ham were doing in injury time or rather what Mikel Antonio, uh, who uh, Slavan, he's only got himself to blame. He brought him on as a sub. Uh, what Mikel Antonio he was doing. should get an assist. 97th minute. 97th minute. He takes the ball down to the corner flag. There's got to be 20 seconds left in the game. Instead of keeping it there, he tries to cross the ball. <laughs> Sproni takes the ball, launches it upfield. Loftus-Cheek makes a simple pass. Nobody's marking anybody. Loftus-Cheek makes a simple pass to Zaha. And then Zaha just does oh. it all himself, goes out, comes inside, you know, knocks it past uh, Joe Hart. 2-2. Scenes in South London. Rush. Really scenes, David. And it's just two amazing images from this moment. First of all, the two managers, Rory Hodgson, his arms aloft while Slavan Bilic falls to his knees like a doomed dead man walking. And then the photo of the Palace players celebrating with their fans. One Crystal Palace fan in particular, a gent called Dan Sharp, thanks to you on social media who connected us, a gentleman who has clearly suffered with his team this season and now is just screaming with boyish delight, overwhelmed by the emotions of his team's achievement. I mean, what a shot of adrenaline for Crystal Palace and that delirious fan base. Yeah, it was just a single point, but to see a team that should 
and have this season given up when their opponent had a foot on their throat and summoning a fight back, tenacity to never say die. That's the sign the fans are looking for when Roy Hodgson arrived at the club, that there is a pulse, that there is a will, that there is hope. The three things any team needs to survive the relegation knife fight that's still to come. Benteke is going to be back in a few weeks. Wilfred, I mean, honestly, one of the most underrated players in the Premier League. Uh, Loftus-Cheek, you know, doing some good work in there. You know, you just feel like, you know, Townsend is a very good Premier League winger. You feel like they've got some players who can do something. Europa League, here we come, Palace. I know, I'm rooting for them. I'm rooting for them. Liverpool, three. Huddersfield, nil. Rog, goals from Daniel Sturridge. The 100th of his club career. Bobby Firmino and Gigi were now to claim all three points for Jurgen Klopp, who repelled fellow German and close personal friend David Wagner's Huddersfield from Anfield. A game that was so German. It's even more German than Jurgen Klinsmann's US men's national team squads. <laughs> good, Josie. Good. Good, Josie. Good, Julian. Good, Jordan Henderson. Oh, Klopp and Wagner. First time two German managers went head-to-head in the Premier League. I said on the TV show that it was a glimpse of what the Premier League would have looked like if we'd lost the Battle of Britain. We would have been presenting men in blazers in Lederhosen. And by we, I obviously mean you, Davey. It was an odd game. I mean, neither team were themselves. Liverpool were not self-destructive for 90 minutes. Huddersfield were not really tenacious. It was what it was. Liverpool took a long time to get going. My brother, Nige, who was at the game, he's a season ticket holder at Anfield, I'm ashamed to say. He, <laughs> he texted me to say the Huddersfield fans were the highlight of the first half. They spent the first 45 chanting at Klopp that he's just <laughs> David Wagner. <laughs> and I thought, I, I, I text back to him, I said, aren't we all in our own way just <laughs> David Wagner's David? I wish I, I, wish I was David Wagner, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, me too. That would be amazing. You'd be an amazing pod partner. Oh, um, yeah, good win for Liverpool, though. You sort of feel this is a league of parity for most teams right now. A 3-0 win against anyone seems impressive to me. Yeah, I mean, in this one, Huddersfield just pressed themselves to the point of exhaustion. The Terrier defence imploded three times. It was Milner and Wijnaldum just started to stretch them. Poor Tommy Smith. He's a lovely bloke. He had a defensive nightmare. What's known in the trade as a Dejan Lovren. And mm. Liverpool attackers, they just welcome the opportunity to play against a bat line, which was just like the one that they play against in training every day of the week. <laughs> Klopp needed that win and the clean sheet, like Jim Harbour needed his Wolverines to beat Rutgers. I did love Jurgen Klopp and David Wagner hug and kiss pre-post-match. They're like buzzing buddies. Those who don't know, they played together at Mainz. They coached together at Dortmund. Klopp, the sorcerer, Wagner, the apprentice, Wagner, Klopp's best man, Klopp, godfather, to Wagner's daughter. They get, they've got to do some kind of a television show, David. They've got to remake Perfect Strangers with Klopp as Balky and Wagner as Larry or something like that. God, that will not be a funny television program. I can guarantee you that, Rog. Oh, if uh, li- it'd be like Night at the Roxbury. Is that sign a mirror in your pocket because I can see myself in your pants? <laughs> By the way, if they did live together, yeah. Who's the alpha in there, in that apartment? Uh, yeah, well, I think it would mainly be Klopp, but there would be an episode in which, in which you know, Wagner would get very upset about that and everything would be like the upside down. Everything would get reversed, Rog, and it would really bother Jürgen. <sighs> and then at the end, they'd come together and realise that they, there's room for two alphas. We're really not that different after all. Yeah! <laughs>
<laughs> okay, Rog, Bournemouth, a utilitarian win for Antonio Conte's men, courtesy of a very Eden Hazardy, Eden Hazard 51st minute goal. Bournemouth still pinned down in the relegation zone. Chelsea, meanwhile, remain in fourth. Not the greatest game, but an yeah. uninspired win is still a win. You've taught me that, David. Interesting things going on behind the scenes at Chelsea, Rog. You know, Gary Cahill looks, you know, own goal lovers of the Premier League. He could be on his way out at Chelsea. Uh, suddenly doesn't seem to be able to make uh, a starting lineup. We'll see what happens uh, against Roma in the Champions League today. And then continuing persistent rumours of Antonio Conte uh, being on the way out of the door at Chelsea, starting to really get to the Italian manager. Yeah, I mean, it was funny to see Bournemouth really did huff and puff. They created little in this game. They mustered, I think, one shot on target and it came in the 93rd minute. And you think, job done. This will be a happy Conte. First clean sheet in over a month. They've won six of their last seven away Premier League games. But he is cutting a beleaguered character, Davo. Unsettled by gossip around the club's training ground. Newspaper reports that have rumours of players making contact with former assistant managers, reaching out to Carlo Ancelotti, telling them that they're tired of Conte's rigorous training methods. And he had a fractious press conference before the game where he, he just said, that, that's a lot of bull****. Is it all it's Carter Page's to, fault? How do you understand it? It's hard to figure it out. Steve Holland, that former assistant manager in question, went on record and said not a single player had contacted him. And it's tough to believe sometimes with the British press is, you know, whether or not, certainly there have been many instances where the press have written things that have turned out to be absolutely, absolutely untrue. Having said that, the 38 or so managers in the Roman Abramovich era, you know, make anything that happens at, at Chelsea seem somewhat plausible. So it's just hard to tell. I think it just goes with the territory of being Chelsea manager and you've got to sort of become immune to it. I think what Chelsea are crying out for is they need something exciting to happen for them, whether it's, you know, a couple of you know, they got that great win in Madrid against Atletico in the Champions League. That was a nice moment. It'd be lovely to see a new player break out. Morata, who suddenly was looking so good, suddenly getting into a little bit of a dip in form. Uh, his confidence looking a little bit, not shot, but a little questionable coming back from injury. Feel like you need a young player to break through. Really wanted to see Ampadu play. You know, fantastic young footballer. Uh, would love to see him get a chance for Chelsea. Tumultuous times. More than any other club, Chelsea's back office brief the press off the record in the Premier League more than any other club uh, that I've encountered but what a time for Mourinho's United to visit this weekend oh yeah that's going to be a great game of football uh, really looking forward to that uh, Burnley won Newcastle nil Sean Deitch's men collect all three points behind a 74th minute Jeff Hendrick goal in football's equivalent of an old timey bare knuckle boxing match <laughs> exactly the kind of big game that anyone, anyone sane, would want their live television show to wear after. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Oh. I arrived at the airport last night at JFK, getting ready to fly out to LAX, and I, uh, I went through security, and I heard an English accent behind me saying, what, you'll let anyone on this plane? And it was Robbie Earl coming in right behind me, having, uh, having come down uh, from Stanford, having covered this game. Robbie Earl, and, coming uh, in hot. Coming in hot. Uh, Robbie Earl, yeah, he was still uh, still sweating from how excited he was watching this game of football, Rog. What's Robbie Earl's drinks pattern on a cross-country flight? Is he hitting the liquor before takeoff? We didn't sit next to each other, but I'll tell you, this man, 
as well dressed as he is on camera. He dresses well off camera too. Just perfect shoes, perfect pair of jeans, perfect blazer. Just looks, just looking sharp. Everyone in the airport turning around, thinking, "Who is that handsome devil walking with that older bald man, Rog?" Or less bald <sighs> since Tariko uh, blessed me. Were, but pe- still were people just bald. coming up to you, feeling like, "Hey, musty"? <laughs> All English I people. Wish, I wish. I wish. We look the same. This, this was less a game. It really was. It was more a battle of the bearded balds with the winner getting the Everton job. Sean Dyche, the deepest voice in football, manoeuvring himself into a place where if he's not careful, he's going to have the pick of booby prize jobs in football. He could get to Everton. He could get end up at West Ham. He's going to be able to take his pick. Watford, nil, Stoke, one. Mark Hughes, how about him for Everton, Rog? Shows he can draw up an inbound play. He's vanilla enough with the best of them. A quality corner born of the training ground sees Darren Fletcher. Yes, Rog, Darren Fletcher. Thump home the game's lone goal on 16 minutes. Brighton won, Southampton won. Goals from the Saints, Stephen Davis and former Wilmington hammerhead slash ageless wonder who doesn't look a day over 48. Glenn Murray, <laughs> see each side claim a point in this South Coast derby. And then, Rog, Leicester 2, Everton 0. Hello, darkness, my old friend. A clash between two new managers after sacking Claudio Ranieri and a quick rebound romance with Craig Shakespeare. Leicester hire what many proclaimed as the benign Claude Puel, former Southampton one and dunner. Everton, meanwhile, riding with caretaker manager David Unsworth. In this game, Leicester proved that managers, like real estate, often better when bought than rented. Goals from Jamie Vardy and Damari Gray give the Foxes their first back-to-back wins of the season and leave your Everton. And this is not a typo, Rog. I wish it was. I wish it was. In the relegation <laughs> zone, 10 38ths of the way through the season. Sad. Oh, David. Where to start with this one? Perhaps with the email that I got from producer J-Dubs right at the final whistle <laughs> where he wrote, sorry, by the way, could be worse. Trump could be in the White House. And the US could have failed to qualify for the World Cup. <laughs> yeah, J-Dubs, championship, men in blazers, next season, Rogers Everton versus JW's Ipswich. It's going to be lit. Oh, Zerico light. <laughs> We're under temporary leadership. The joyous, rather swollen David Unsworth, club legend, famous for leaving Everton, moving to Aston Villa, and then negating his move after a week because he just couldn't stand leaving the club. His wife wouldn't let him leave Liverpool. But he looks like a man now who's just wandered onto the field after eating Syed Kalasanek. He's turned the team around quickly. He had them back firing on all cylinders. Sadly, though, that team was Leicester City. They just... Oh, whatever was wrong with them, which wasn't a lot if you've watched them this season, but whatever was wrong was right immediately just by playing Everton. They went 2-0 up at Canter within half an hour, lacerating Everton with a quality that we've lacked all season. Pace, Damari Gray, Mares Vardy, Leicester, reminiscent of the clinical counter-attacking force that just shocked all comers in 2015-16. Dave out thoughts and prayers for young John Joe Kenny, though. Oh, my word. That was difficult uh, to watch, Rog. Damari Gray, who, frankly, the player of the game, Rog, by a mile, uh, from the left, throws in a speculative cross. John Joe Kenny, the young England defender, or baby England defender, Rog, just goes for a clearance. 
don't quite know what happened. Seemed to lose sight of the ball and uh, just deflects it uh, straight past his keeper, past Pickford into his own net. You say it was that was hard to watch. To me, the whole 90 minutes, it was honestly harder to watch than the US men's national team. I mean, yeah, we were denied a blatant penalty. Yeah, we had lots of possession in the second half, but did almost nothing with it. Now six Premier League losses in the last eight games. I'm beginning to wonder if Everton played the Cleveland Browns, David, who would win or would it just be the end of history? What, uh, what sport, Rog? Name it. <laughs> Soccer, probably. Yeah. I'd like to think Everton would win at association football. Maybe Don't on think penalties. In American football. Find it unlikely. <sighs> David, we are in a manner for a trouble. I mean, the relegation battle, it's real. It's real. We're in it. I mean, I, I watch this squad play football. And it reminds me of Zinedine Zidane's comments about the French World Cup team in 2010 when he said it only has two problems. They can't attack and they can't defend. I mean, this Everton team, they cannot score. They cannot keep a clean sheet. We've got no striker. We have no true source of goals in that squad. How does it look to you? Because to me, I feel like we're in real danger of falling through the ice and not being able to get back out. There are some things I really don't understand, Rog. I don't understand what's happened to Gilfie. You know, this is not a, you know, somebody, a high-priced European footballer who's come in but without Premier League experience. This is an ex- incredibly experienced Premier League player. By the way, I'd stick him in there just to score goals from set pieces, which he's done consistently through his career. I just don't understand how the money that they've spent, I just don't know how it has got them so little. And that's the true pain watching it, Dave. It really is, because after struggling to compete, to hang on in a football world that's run by money. We've looked up at the penthouse from the pavement for so long. We finally got a ton of cash and we've used it to transform ourselves into that we didn't want to be, relegation fodder. It is is a dark novel. It's a novel so dark and disturbing, even I wouldn't put it in the Emporium. Yeah, the question is, what do you do now? Oh. You know, do you turn to the experience of the players you've brought in? Or what Unsworth seems to be trying to do is let's bring in the kids, let's bring in some of the young players, bring in some of the players I've worked with in the academy. I think whatever he does, he's got to find a way, and maybe this is through the, the transfer window, Rog, he's got to find a way to bring speed into the team. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, this squad is so imbalanced. You, you, you've got your aged-out veterans, not unlike the U.S. men's national team. Watching Jagielka and Ashley Williams at the back... I, I, I admire Ashley Williams for what he did at Swansea. Part of me, when he takes the the, the field, I, I wish he never played for Everton Football Club again in my life. And then we have the raw, young babies, the Dominic Calvert-Lewins, the John Joes, the baby Lookmans. We have nobody in between. Everybody's either kind of Rooney age or post just post-bar mitzvah. And we don't have, like the US men's national team, players in that sweet spot, that kind of 23 to 29-year-old prime. To be candid, who leads us is what is critical now. And this is the strategic question which is going to determine not just how Everton go this season, but possibly how this era plays out. I mean, David Unsworth's proven that having heart, loving Everton, it's just not enough to make you the manager who can extract us from our predicament. And that predicament, namely, that Ronald Koeman was hired to be the architect of a grand transformation, and he failed. And now... We're in the mud, we're in the mire, we're in a relegation battle. So the question is, do we hire a relegation-avoiding specialist, like a Sam Allardyce, who is 
if he's anything, a relegation avoider. He's the relegation whisperer. And watching him, God, go on television and talk about, yeah, if Everton called, I'd, uh, I'd consider the job. It's like, it's like watching an episode of Black Mirror, Dave. It's like dark, mm. dystopian sci-fi. Even I can't believe it when he's like, I'd take Everton back to basics. But that means it would be a hire on a short-term basis. It would risk having a ton of players who veered from David Moyes to Roberto Martinez to Ronald Koeman and on. And we were a club that was once solid. And we're becoming a revolving door of tactical styles of instability. What do you think we should do managerially? I must say, I love the idea of Rafa Benitez. I think, uh, you know, even though that might be very difficult for him with his Liverpool connection, he's still got a home in Liverpool, I think. Take him. I think you've got to find a manager. It's less about, like, having something to prove. It's less about, like, this being, you know, one stop to something larger. But, but a manager, Rafa has sort of been through everywhere. I mean, he's been a great manager pretty much everywhere he's been at. He's done a fantastic job at Newcastle. He's just got experience. He can get these people playing football. You feel like he can look at what's going on. He can look at the squad, see what he's got done a fantastic job in a similar position at Newcastle where he went in there and they had very, very little. Did not save them from going down when he went there, uh, but brought them up so quickly. I think he's just the right kind of man for the job. Oh, I did have a dream last night, David, where Sam Allardyce was hired by Everton Football Club and it was like one of those PBS Thomas Hardy masterpiece theatre uh, series where a heroine who knowingly marries the local mill owner, knowing he's a Puritan. The good news is he's going to provide for her but the downside is that she has to live in austere, miserable, loveless conditions. And I woke up. I did not feel so good. I do. I hope I go tonight and I dream. I take, by the way, I take Rafa. I, I admire Rafa. I think he's a phenomenal gent. I admire the way he does his work. He loves the city of Liverpool. God, he'd be super motivated to take Everton and take us next level. But Sean Dyche, he's got three things going for him, as far as I can see. Number one, he's bald. Number two, he's ginger. Number three, he's a real long-term lover that we can build behind. And we need that. Because right now, if Everton faced an opponent with a starting eleven of Theon Greyjoy, Ralph Wiggum, Barbara Hershey and Beaches, Johnny Drama, Betsy DeVos at the back, Breck <laughs> Shea, Bing Bong, Broad City's Bevers, and Philip Larkin in the middle, and Dejan Lovren, and Tracy Chapman, Dejan Lovren in a very odd number 10 role, I think we'd still lose, David. I'm surprised you see Betsy DeVos playing in central defence. I see her more as a, as a sort of a wide flair player. She'd be a right wing back. <laughs> very true. <laughs> uh, yeah, back very much to the 1950s, Rog. Uh, OK, uh, the only way your weekend would have been worse, Rog, is if you started Gabriel Jesus and Richarlison up front on your Togger team, Rog, which you did. <laughs> they combined <laughs> for a total of negative two points. Jack McSee, 98, opted instead for Alexis Sanchez and Mo Salah on his way to a win in our MIB Togger League. A patch is on the way, Jack. Sign up for our Togger League on meninblazers.com. OK, Rog, now something that really did cheer you up. Now for something that will really cheer us both up, Dave. I'll tell you, is it, is it, is it Halloween or is it April the 1st, Rog? England a World Cup champions, well, under-17 World Cup champions, but an absolutely phenomenal feat, nonetheless, given the style in which these amazing young players accomplished it uh, Saturday in India, coming back from behind against Spain. God, what do we say, David, to an England yeah. under-17 team who simply put, in coming back from 2-0 down against the Spanish, just coped in the most un-English of ways. They just responded with fire. They made goals rain, five of them. 
with Man City's Phil Foden, Liverpool's hat-trick hero Rooster, the pick of a talented bunch. They demolished, demolished the Spaniards, who seemed just bewildered, vaguely hanging on at the final whistle. What emotions did you go through? It was less national pride. It was less of like what you feel when your national team very, very occasionally wins something, Rog. It was much more uh, to do with being so happy for these kids. They just seemed to have a joy of playing football that you so rarely see in international football, Rog, at the uh, senior level. God, and when I say it was most un-English, that's doing the youth teams a disservice because we do have what the English papers are calling a new golden generation. England, your England, the England that we know and love, who are mostly complicit with failure, now join Brazil as the only nation to win the under-20 and under-17 World Cups in the same year. And England yeah. won the youth Euros too, which Brazil didn't take that Brazil. Yeah. But seeing this team blast three goals past the Brazilians and five past Spain is astonishing. Jurgen Klinsmann used to say that sometimes players can be so young they don't know enough to be afraid. The big question, will they get playing time to develop in the Premier League? So many of them come from the Arsenal, Manchester City, Chelsea academies, Liverpool academy too, that you can't really see them finding that pathway into first-team football. A shocking stat. Only three of the squad have experienced first-team league minutes. One of those, Morgan Gibbs-White, plays in the championship for Wolves. And Hal Gomes played two minutes for Manchester United on the final day of last season. Jadon Sancho, fantastic footballer, but he had to leave Manchester City to join Dortmund to get some minutes. How do you think this is going to play out, David? Look, I feel that they've got to be good enough to break into their first teams. If I'm a Liverpool fan, yes, I'm excited that Rianne Brewster looks so good in the under-17 World Cup. But am I going to advocate starting him, you know, ahead of the sort of stack of forward players uh, that they've got over there? I don't know about that. And I think that, you know, Henry Winter wrote a brilliant column uh, yesterday about these under-17 players, that the key for them now is to come back and work really hard. And he remembers seeing you know, a young David Beckham just practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing. You know, we make lots of jokes about Beckham and how he dressed and, you know, the first, like, full-fashion football and all of that kind of stuff. But the amount of effort he put into his game, the amount of practice he put into these games was why he achieved so much. And too many of these young players make so much money so quickly, you know, you feel that they sort of peak at the point that they've got a contract and they're not really pushing on to go and make it. Having said that, there are some very, very good young players in that team, particularly uh, very impressed with that young Man City uh, kid, uh, Phil Foden. Looks like a fantastic player. Uh, and some very good players in defence as well. So hopefully they'll get a chance. I think the loan system will help them. But, you know, certainly a very good uh, era for uh, youth football in England. Yeah, my advice to everyone who played on that team, in three words, lads, I know you're listening. My advice would be, come to Everton. <laughs> We've got a home for you. And I yeah, hope, we need you. I hope that that was not their peak, like high school quarterbacks whose greatest moment in life came age 17 with that late touchdown pass against the crosstown rivals and they're now stocking shelves in the local supermarket remembering how that pass felt, how that moment felt, the ecstasy of their youth. I, I did think after the game, Leonard Cohen's song, Who By Fire, came to mind. Who by fire, who by water, who in the sunshine who in the night time, that some of these players are just never going to make it. Who will be overplayed? Who will fritter away their opportunity 
who will be photographed stumbling out of nightclubs in their underpants, who will waste themselves with the lure of bars and fast cars. Somehow England will find a way to waste this opportunity. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Rog, in MLS. We should have ordered more Eagle Scream, Rog. It is MLS playoff time <laughs> at the Eastern Conference semis. Toronto hold a 2-1 advantage over New York Red Bull after Monday's first leg at Red Bull Arena. And Columbus host NYCFC tonight in the other Eastern Conference semi. In the Western Conference, the Dynamo and Portland battle to a 0-0 draw Monday night in Houston. The other semifinal sees defending champ Seattle take on Vancouver in the first leg Thursday. I'm exhausted just from reading that, Rog. <sighs> Pick of the games I've seen, Davey. Columbus dropping into Atlanta, scene of an MLS playoff record crowd of 67,221. Astonishing and just shocking Tata Martino's side on penalties in a humdinger of a rumble. Our great friend, Doug Robeson, the journalist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, who's been the scribe of this team's dizzying first year. He said he thought that the eight regular season games Atlanta played in 24 days finally undid them irrespective i will say atlanta fans your team they gave us the best debut season since stranger things and like the netflix franchise you're going to need strong writing for the second season i i, do, I want to say to the whole atlanta organization who really do listen you gave america a feel-good soccer story when we really needed one and thank you for that but what columbus Dave? wow you know hearts go out to all the columbus fans what they're dealing with uh, right now, but my God, you can be so proud of your team. Yeah, I mean, for those who don't know, the team owner announces on the eve of the playoffs that his team are going to decamp to Austin. To his horror, probably to his horror, his footballers then start a playoff run and he's got one on his hand. By the time this pod drops, Columbus will have hosted NYCFC at home. Stadium packed with long-adoring fans will do anything to save their old school team. Uh, I, I think that the atmosphere... At Columbus tonight is going to make Arsenal fan TV seem like a choir boy trip. But I know relocation is the norm in American sports, but it's really not in world football. Just look at Wimbledon, who moved to Milton Keynes and became the MK Dons and still carry the mark of Kane. They're very much a pariah team in English football. And I think Anthony Precourt's got a real logjam on this hand. So I'm just saying, do the right thing. Do the right thing for Frankie Hajduk's sake. Thursday night's game. At CenturyLink Field, sees Seattle host Vancouver at 10.30 p.m. Eastern time on Fox Sports. And your weekend looks like this. The highlight of a run of the very nice Saturday is West Ham versus Liverpool at 1.30 p.m. But Sunday, we get two massive Premier League games. The Man City host Arsenal at 9.15 a.m. That's followed by Chelsea versus Man United at 11.30 a.m. Oh, I'm going to watch that in my new house, Rog. All of those times are Eastern. All games are on the NBC family of networks. And in MLS Sunday, there's a trinity of playoff games with the second legs of Toronto FC versus New York Red Bull, NYC FC versus Columbus, and Portland versus Houston. Check your local listings for times and networks. There are many ways to connect to us, including our now extinct Amazon Emporium, which used to keep the show going. Since Amazon has done away with the partner program, we're just talking about crap we like and posting links to them on our website, meninblazers.com. We no longer get a tiny percentage (laughs) that allows us to cover the cost of creating the show. As such, we've started to look for a new name for the faux emporium. We asked you, dear GFOPs, for suggestions on last week's pod. Some early leaders in the clubhouse 
Big Sam's Pie Draw from <laughs> Al Wepsala and Black Books and Home Goods from Luke Ferris. Keep the suggestions coming. Submit via social using the hashtag MIBFO, that's with an X, Emporium. What are you putting in the Emporium, Roger? A book. Oh, what a book. Red Plenty by Francis Spooford. In my continuing, slightly self-destructive drive to learn more about what makes Russia tick ahead of the World Cup in 2018. I picked up this book when I was back in England. It's a creation of wonder. It is a fictional, yet painstakingly researched and footnoted telling of the Soviet Union's economic boom and bust (laughs) in the 1950s and 60s. David, it's astonishing. The story, it follows the how and why the Soviets believe that their command economy would become the most dominant one in the world. They really did. They, they believed they were going to outstrip the United States, and they did for a while. But then it details the extraordinary intellectual and physically brutal steps that they took to prop up that belief once it became nothing more than a fairy tale. The book is so richly worked. I mean, it's like a Robert Altman sprawling cast, and it's hard to keep it together at some point. I really worked at this book, but it's so human. I, I recommend it to all of you who love history, politics, and economics, devour this eccentric visual feast now. Rog. Davo. Breaking news. I'm putting a book in Ara's yet-named Emporium. You know, I don't read very often, uh, partly because I don't read that much about the Holocaust or the Russian (laughs) Revolution or, or the Soviet Union, various things that you like reading about. Um, but I do like reading about sports. I've read a lot of sports books uh, over time. I've got a new mate, Sean Avery, uh, former uh, NHL hockey hard man. He's written a fantastic book. I've actually made it to page 64 so far, Roger, which is a record for me over the last year. It's called Ice Capades, a memoir of fast living and tough hockey. Um, he really is a guy who is not afraid uh, to write anything or to go and say anything. And he really takes us behind the scenes uh, into the locker room, into what it actually is like to go and play in the NHL and what it's like to become an elite athlete. A really interesting guy, a book uh, well worth picking up. Have you got him addicted on Cillium Husk? Yeah, well, he's, he's, he's one of the people that converted me, Rog. He's on the husk. Yeah, he's on the husk. O-T-H. Sean Avery, O-T-H. You can follow us on Twitter at Men in Blazers, at MC Davies, at Rog Bennett, on Instagram, at Men in Blazers, at Embassy underscore Davies, on Facebook, Men in Blazers. You can always uh, email us at meninblazers at gmail.com. You can always send your ravens to the crap part of Soho. Vendorpunk Rog. War pig. Who wants to sex Matombo? I like snacks. <laughs> Balls win. Balls win. Take that, Gloria. Balls lose. To tweed. Abrogado, rock on, mate. Kung Fu Fight in America. Love you, Davo. Love you, Rog. Miss you. On the husk. <laughs>